It's happy hour again from Central City, New Orleans. Hello, I'm Grant Morris. We're at Casa Borrega on Reef Castle Haley Boulevard, where we'll be for the next 60 minutes for happy hour, which is a part of the family of shows on the podcast network. It's NewOrleans.com, brought to us today in part by Petite Pet Care, dog walking and pet sitting. Loving care when you're not there. For more information about your pet and who can look after it for you, give them a call at Petite Pet Care at 504-309-PET or go online to PetitePetCare.com. If you're using an iPhone, check out the awesome new app, Swell. It's the Pandora of podcasting. It goes out and finds all sorts of great podcasts that you're going to love. When you walk into a bar in New Orleans and you pull up a bar stool, you never know who's going to be sitting next to you. What you do know is no matter what they look like, what they're wearing, whether they just got out of a limo or just got out of jail, they're going to be happy to talk to you because that's New Orleans. And this is Happy Hour, a cocktail-fueled 60 minutes of random conversation with folks who have nothing in common. Other than we're all New Orleans in a bar, this time it's at Casa Borrega. Our theme song is being played today by the fabulous Luke Winslow King. Luke, thank you very much. Yes, Luke Winslow King is a New Orleans guitarist, singer and songwriter whom critics have described as brilliant, a soft-spoken lead belly, and reminiscent of Neil Young if Neil were a great singer. Mm. <laughs> nice, who, you, really who you really dug into the archives who, for those. Those are old, old quotes. Who there. said that about you? <laughs> it was uh, this guy, Phil Wintermute. He was, a, he was a great singer and mandolin player in Michigan. He passed away about five or six years ago, so that's a really old quote. Well, that wow. is odd. Yeah. Well, it's historical. Yes. Exactly. Instead of all, well, historical sounds a lot, you know. That's right. Vintage. A lot more exciting. Yeah, Maybe yeah. when they went Vintage. through the list, you thought the, the ones at the end were more important, but really they were just older. Is there a better quote? <laughs> <laughs> it's a chronological Is there a better list. quote we could use in future? No, that's fine. That's great. That's I appreciate okay. it. Yeah. So I read the rest of it. Luke Winslow King leads his band, The Ragtime Millionaires. That's true still, right? No, we're not called that anymore. Okay, what are they called now? <laughs> just Luke Winslow King. Yeah, oh, so that, that was new that. to me. Okay, yeah. so that's out. Okay. Easy, Luke easy Winslow edit. King leads his band, another one is just Luke Winslow King, across the country and around Europe. That's right. Okay. They played alongside Jack White, Taj Mahal. Hey, that's a small world because Andrew Duhon's just back from India. <laughs> oh, nice. It's a different Welcome Taj back. Mahal. Though, different right? Taj Mahal. Yeah. yeah, whole different. One's a place, one's a guy. Yeah. <laughs> the Taj Mahal, the guy's not named after. Why is he called that? Um, I don't know. I think it was kind of like a 60s folk revival thing when India right. was really cool and the Beatles <laughs> were into that, that stuff. And what does it mean, Andrew Taj Mahal? Mm, the the name yeah oh, I don't know what it means but it's a you know everybody thinks it's this religious place but it's not what it's is it's an ode to love it's a tomb for a an emperor who made his his beloved wife who bore him twelve kids this amazing tomb and um, he had a plan to build his own identical black one across the river but there's only the base of it because that's as far as he got so they're both buried in the Taj Mahal but it's just a it's a love palace. So I think Taj Mahal, the person, is, is pretty much the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> but he's right. the black He's one. the black version. Yeah. 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 Black Taj love Mahal palace. black version. Yeah. Wasn't that like a song? Yeah. What was that? Uh, Donald Trump black version. Who sang that? Not know? sure. Donald Trump black version. That's a great no. song. I can't think of the guy's name now. No. Anyway, uh, Luke Winslow King, along with his band, has played alongside Jack White, Taj Mahal, Robert Earl Keane, among others, and they've been featured on the BBC, CNN, Discovery Channel. And Luke Winslow King's third album is The Coming Tide, which is awesome. Thank you very it's much. Beautiful. How's it Thank doing? You. Is anybody buying it? It's, or it's doing it? really well. It, it got picked up by a, um, a label called Bloodshot, and they've been selling lots of them for us. It's been really good. Wow, good. So and, you're um, a real label now. Yeah, and we're finishing up our fourth album that's going to be out in the fall this year. Wow, excellent. Yeah. How cool. Yes, I'm excited about it. Thank are you, you. Are you recording it as we speak? Yep, we've been recording over the last uh, few weeks, and we're going to finish it up um, probably by Jazz Fest and then have it out to the presses for the fall. 
Wow, pity it's not out by Jazz Fest. That's the key. I know that's always the goal, but sometimes you yeah. just don't make it. Yeah. You know? So well, there'll okay. always be another Jazz Fest. That's right, always, every year. In theory, as well. Mm-hmm. Our other guests sitting around the table here are Eris Walsh. Hello, Eris. Hello. Hello. Eris moved to New Orleans from Atlanta a few months after Katrina. Nice move. To help I a good friend rebuild, fell in love with the city, and never left. That's true. Ah. Yeah. Eris has turned a childhood of. Okay, I'll start this again. Eris has turned a childhood <laughs> of playing in the dirt into the business of creating all natural herbal remedies. Taking inspiration from the apothecaries of old, Eris is the founder of the New Moon Apothecary. Yep. Hey, that's cool. Apothecaries, there are. That's a person. Uh, here we go again. That's also <laughs> like Taj Mahal. <laughs> Apothecary is a person and a place, right? Um, sort of. It's technically it's a uh, person who creates uh, drugs or medicines um, and then sells them. So technically, an apothecary is a person, but a lot of people just assume that apothecary is a place as well. Um, it's kind of assumed that. Are you saying that assumption the is incorrect? Um, I think it's become both um, over so, the years. So it's the Taj Mahal of drugs. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Okay. That's nice. I like that. Well, I'm going to keep that, are you actually. The bl- are you the black apothecary or the white apothecary? Oh, that depends on the day. Hmm. What is today? How are you feeling? Um, today, I'd go with white. I'd go with sure, white today. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Eris is the founder of the New Moon Apothecary. The apothecary <laughs> combines Eris's 20 years of studying herbs and herbal remedies. We've been studying herb for about 20 years here as well. Hey. <laughs> Strangely <Right>. enough. <laughs> Probably different herbs. Probably. One or, one Can or two you use pot? Ones. Is pot used in any of your medicinal? Um, not in mine, but that's because I'm allergic to it. Um, How did you so find that out? <laughs> trial and error, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was tons of fun figuring that out, by the way. You've got to just hang in there. Mm-hmm. Y- you know, you but think that, and after about the third or fourth time, you just kind of give it up, and then you're just sad for the rest of your life because yeah. everyone else gets to do things that you just can't. What happens when you smoke it? I get violently ill. Mm. Well, we've got a little bit here that you might like to try. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that well, I will uh, let everyone else at the table have an well enjoyable I'm experience by not doing that. Well, I'm sorry to s- sort of start the whole interview process already before we've even <laughs> got to Brandy and the introductions, <laughs> but mm. just tell me this then. If you're an apothecary and, and pot makes you violently ill, what does that mean? Um, you know what? We've never actually figured out exactly what it is about that particular plant. Um, that I don't do well with. It's one of those things that I've kind of decided it's better for me to just leave it alone rather than dive into it and figure out exactly what part of it it is. It must have some potent... I'm, I'm sure that there is, but I have no idea what it is exactly. And like I said, I've, there's been enough trial and error in my life that I, I hate throwing up enough that I just don't want to keep trying. What makes you throw up? It does. I told you, violently ill. Hmm. It's sad, I know. Okay. It's terrible. Well, I guess it's a saving. What do you do instead, heroin? (laughs) (laughs) Only on the weekends. Hmm, Okay, well, it's almost the weekend. It is. Brandy Studer is here as well. Hi, Brandy. Hi, thanks for having me. Sorry to make you you wait there. Oh, no, I'm good. Brandy's a mitigation specialist at the Capital Defense Project here in New Orleans with a law degree from Washburn University in Kansas and a Master of Social Work from Tulane. Brandy spends her days trying to keep people already convicted of murder from being sentenced to death. Hmm. Sort of. They're not convicted. They're pre-trial. All my clients are pre-trial. So they're not convicted. They're innocent until proven guilty. So you, you're working for people who have been charged with murder. Right. But All first-degree murder. So what are you actually... What, what are you mitigating? Their lives. So my job is... I basically write my clients' life stories. So <clears throat> if you're my client, then I would meet your family and your friends and your social workers and your foster care parents and your teachers and everyone and kind of put your story together to eventually present to a jury to hopefully save your life so you give it to a to the to the attorney to the trial attorney right you're not the trial attorney no you are an attorney i am a lawyer right 
I'm licensed in Louisiana, but I do mitigation work. But would you need to be a lawyer to do what you're doing? <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm sorry, look at you like that's just no. scary. You could do it. Anyone could do it. So do you need a law degree to do that? No. What made you go to all this trouble to get a law degree to do this job? Then why don't you want to be a trial attorney? It's not that I don't want to be a trial lawyer. I just am doing this. Um, I actually worked at the Orleans Parish Prison before I went to law school, and um, I didn't realize that people were treated in the horrible manner that they're treated there. So I went home and went to law school and essentially came back. But nobody in OPP is, is charged with murder, are they? <laughs> yeah. They are, are they? Yeah. That's where they go first before, before they get found. If they're found guilty, then they go off to Angola. If they're found guilty, they'll go to Angola. Most likely Angola, yeah. So you were inspired to get a law degree by Orleans Parish Prison. Scary. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, most people are inspired by like, making a whole lot of money. <laughs> I, I know. I don't make any money. That's why I came for the free beer today. Yeah. Well, good deal. <laughs> That's what we're here for as well, to tell you the truth. Hey, shall I keep reading this? Before taking on this burden in New Orleans, Brandy did the same, Brandy did the same job in Austin, Texas. Mm -hmm. That's funny because a lot of people go between Austin, Texas, and you two guys are going to Austin, Texas today, actually. That's right. Luke and Andrew. Not today. This week. This yeah. week. Andrew's yeah. going this afternoon, right? Oh, wow. Yeah. Right after the show, after South by nice. Southwest. Yeah. So it's funny because people often put Austin, Texas, and New Orleans, Louisiana together as two hip cities, and... You defended murderers in both of them. Yeah. Well, alleged murderers. They're post-conviction in Texas, so they all were on Texas death row. Hmm. Wow. That's hard to get off Texas death row. You must be pretty good. Did you get anybody off? Not yet. Oh. Do you, do you, do you uh, is it simply the requirement that you are on death row to save them? Is that the thing? Or do you kind of look into it to decide whether or not they're deserving or something like that? No, there's no aspect of deserving you just are trying to help save a guy's life right. i mean mine i guess i have have not represented a woman most of mine all my guys have been guys hmm. <laughs> but there's no like are you kind enough or you know mm -hmm. or innocent enough worthy enough no we aren't the innocent i mean i've never worked for the innocence project they do <laughs> those innocence cases we just do whoever else comes our way have you ever met anyone that you didn't want to represent? No. So you're just um, just against the death penalty, no matter no matter what. Even I am. If, even yeah. if they're horribly guilty. Yeah. In your eyes. I mean, I you, I think m find people more often guilty than not guilty, or innocent. Mm -hmm. But there's always something about somebody that you can like. I mean, you know, they're just people who've committed a horrible crime, or you know, have had a different life circumstance. So. Sure. You just have to try to find something that you like, you know, or something that you can identify with, and they're just people, you know? Sure. Yeah. You kind of have to separate the person from the deed at a certain point to, yep, to work exactly. your job. Yeah. Mm. So well. it's more of a mission than a job for you then? Well, I don't... <laughs> I don't think that... Let's put you on the I just spot. Really, I just really like what I do. I really like the people I like, their families that you know, that I get to meet and, you know, you just end up meeting people that you would never, ever meet. I'm sure, like, you have fans that you've never thought would be a fan of your music and you meet them and you don't know anything about them or you don't identify with their same livelihood or their way of life and you mm -hmm. like them anyway and eventually, you know, find something to connect with them on. Sure, always. Yeah, yeah. it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sort of. <laughs> You're comparing the fans of Luke, Luke's music to... Murderers? They're very similar. You'd be surprised. <laughs> you You'd never surprised. know. I mean, a lot of murder ballads in that guy. 
<laughs> You're saying that the people on death row are just people, just They're like just anybody people. else. They just happen to have killed someone. Right. Or, is that I mean, true, they're though? probably is innocent that really ones. true? Uh, I'm sure that there I mean, are people who are on death row who are innocent. Mm. Yeah. But uh, I would imagine a, a large percentage of them also have uh, some sort of mental situation. I, some people do, for sure, yeah. Mm. Oh, yeah. And I wonder, yeah, that's, see, that's the tough part, right? But there's, there's that element of the law where, you know, if you plead insanity or, or, or the like that you are either more lenient or sent a different route than death row, but we're still killing people that we know are mentally deficient. Is that right? Oh, yeah. I think that happens all the time. I mean, especially in states that have active death, you know, death chambers or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that happens. Mm -hmm. Wasn't the insanity plea incredibly hard to actually prosecute? Like, isn't it incredibly difficult for someone to get off? Not really get off, but, you know, get get an, an insanity plea as opposed to anything else. Uh, I I think that is in Louisiana because of the way the statute is written you go to the state hospital until you can be rehabilitated Mm -hmm. so prosecutors or juries have a hard time with the idea that you could eventually walk out of jail even though it's most likely never going to happen right I've just I've always heard that that you know that's why committed a murder that regardless of what their mental state actually is it's very very difficult to actually plead insanity and win for lack of a better term I guess right and it's because you go to the state hospital and you eventually could you know in theory be released even though it's not going to happen right can I just say this is the most interview style questions I've ever seen asked? Very <laughs> serious, you know. Yeah, well, I don't think good. we've ever had anybody on the show who's like in a life and death pass? job. Yeah. Pass. Yeah. Everyone else is just you know doing bullshit kind of ordinary stuff. This yeah. is how do you? What do you feel like when you wake up in the morning? You're gung ho and ready to go. Or are you like, oh shit, I have to go and no, meet all I, these murderers again today? I, you know, it just I guess some days are better than others. Yeah, I mean. It, it's just what it is. You chose not to do really. what you choose to do. I mean, it's just... Well, not really. Sort of most people stumble into whatever they happen to be good at. Well, I stumbled into it. I mean, before I went to law school, I wanted to only do criminal defense work, and I hadn't really thought about the death penalty ever. I mean, I suppose I, I might have been even in favor of the death penalty before I went to law school, and I started working with a professor who asked me to go to some anti-death penalty meetings and then I took an internship with um, our public defender doing death penalty work when I was in law school and just kind of went from there, you know? I mean, I didn't only do death penalty work as a lawyer. I just sort of kind of got back. It does seem strange, the whole death penalty concept that we have, that it's illegal to kill somebody for everyone except the state. The state can kill you. Well, there's a lot of things that are illegal for everybody but the state. Like what else, for example? there's insurance, as far as I'm concerned, oh, is hang on and now. taxes crazy. and whatnot. Well, the state has a right to tax you. Well, yeah. Apparently, <laughs> if they <laughs> didn't, again, that would be good. Yeah, you know, but if you try to do that to somebody else, then it's extortion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's, that's true. I suppose you're not allowed to just go taking people's money at random for, right. and then do something, do whatever you feel like with it. Right. Okay. All right. Taxes and death. Right. Exactly. Those are the only two things what that are, are, two? are absolutely it, inevitable. They are the inevitabilities. Yeah. All right. It's interesting you take these facts about people's lives, though, and you have, to, you have to write it, so you have to kind of turn it into something that's kind of subjective. Like, at a certain point, you must be kind of, like, inflecting certain facts and, like, 
mm. making kind it up. of articulating something that these people couldn't for themselves because mm. you're kind of writing a story you yeah know? so at a certain point it must you must come to these places where you're like should i be creative at this point or just put the facts in like how do you how do you deal with that well, if you get to, sometimes we present the evidence to the prosecutor and try to say, you know, you're never going to win a death penalty case with this client's life. But sometimes you do get to a jury and you have to tell the jury the client's story. And the only way to do that is through witnesses. So you have to decide, like, what witnesses to put on and, like, what part of my client's story could you tell and what kind of part of my client's story could you tell and make it into a cohesive story to tell the jury the person that, so you're you know, just weaving together is. hard facts, really. Well, yeah, or, you know, you remember that he was always really sad and really dirty and you never saw him wear shoes or, you know, whatever. Or that um, you always thought that the mom was mean or, uh, you know, whatever it is. It's right. what your story is to tell about our client and you try to put all of that together so your story, what you know about my client and your story, what you know. Yeah. I mean... You might not even know. Uh, we have cases where you might not know my client now. Like you may have read about him in the news and think, oh, I think he was my neighbor. But when we come talk to you, you know, like I remember when they lived next door and I remember what their house looked like and I remember taking them groceries or, mm -hmm. you know. So you don't know them now maybe, but you know that little bit of their life and you can tell sure. that part of their story because they – you know, most likely you don't want to put the client on to tell their story because then they're subject to cross-examination and you just don't want to yeah. do that to them. I, I, went to, I went to OPP for a weekend one time and I was really, I was really surprised at... Um, you were inside as a prisoner. <clears throat> yes. And I was, really, uh, I was really surprised at how my feelings change when you meet these people face-to-face -face and how you feel like their incarceration is like really circumstantial. More so when you're reading the newspaper and you're looking at a little picture of them and what they've done. Well, how about it's you? What, what did you do to get thrown in there? Um, I actually didn't do anything. I, I was, That's what they all say, right? I was falsely <laughs> accused and all my charges were dropped and expunged. So I had, I had no, wow. you know, you no problem afterwards. But I got you know to see the inside of OPP for a yeah. weekend. When was and, it? Um, it was probably about two years ago. Okay. Two years ago, August. Yeah. What did you get? Are you allowed to say what you got accused of or was that... Um, I don't want to say on the podcast, but okay. I mean, I'm sure, you know, we'll working musician in New Orleans, you could guess, yes. I'm did sure you get you dressed out? Did you have incest. to wear the orange I did. <laughs> jumpsuit? Yes, I did have to wear the orange jumpsuit. Oh, my goodness. That's but, not um, a good color on anybody. I don't care who you are. That's a horrible color. Yeah, it was bad. It was bad, but I, I had like several layers of orange going on. For some reason, they gave me extra clothes. <laughs> so when I was leaving, sweatshirt. I had all this currency. I had the sweatshirt I traded, <laughs> gave someone my white t-shirt. Did anyone apologize to you officially for that? It's a pretty strange um, thing to do they, to be they, arrested for. The cops told me not. that I was a dolphin caught in the shark net while they were arresting me. Wow! So that's something to do with drugs, I assume. Yep, yep. They were they were they were trying to arrest someone else, and I was in the vicinity. And was that also a musician, Jay Mankindi, for example? No, no, <laughs> nothing like that. No, but I mean the the Tosh conditions Mahal. inside OPP are shocking. Yeah. You, th you know, so everyone on the street knows it's bad, but when you go there, it's way worse than you could ever imagine. Thank goodness it didn't. Um, Doesn't feel make like you want to become America. a lawyer, though, did it? Um. No, but it, it did, it did um, make me feel like Brandy that I wanted to stand up for people that, do that don't have a voice, you know? Mm. I think it's, it's so easy for young, impoverished black people to end up there without doing anything wrong, yeah. you know? I'm, I'm like a hardworking white guy with a good haircut and like a button-up <laughs> shirt. Good looking. I can end up in Crazily good looking, right? Thank you. That's very sweet you of you to say. But I'm just saying it's, it's really hard for these, right. for these people that end up there, and some people end up there 
because of horrible things they've done and other people have just bad circumstances yeah. Yeah. did you get a song out of it um, you know, it, it affected several songs after uh, going to jail, but I didn't write like a going to well, jail my song. My jail song. Right. <laughs> right. Hey, right. you want to play something? Um, something connected or non or disconnected from that experience? Yeah. I wrote this song uh, recently that I've been kind of like on the fence about performing very much, mm-hmm. but it kind of goes with the theme of going to jail, and it's like, uh, it's called the Louisiana Blues, and it's like, I'm going to go to Louisiana, I'm going to buy myself a gun because all the other men have one. Ah. And that's like really, I think, a lot of the reason why we have so many gun crimes is because people are so afraid of each other. Mm. You know what I mean? And like people have guns for self-defense and then you have mm. it and someone else knows you have it and you end up in a situation where you have no choice. Well, what is the statistic? You know? What are the statistics? Statistics. statistics. Thank you, Eris. <laughs> On that, Brandy, what are, the, what are the numbers about people who... <laughs> don't you know that? I don't know that. I'm sorry. I don't know gun statistics. You don't? I thought that a would lot. help you get someone off. Maybe. The gun statistics? I thought that somehow that 83% of murders are people who have a gun or... Well, if you're they shot... They know each other. Then if you're shot, you should be sure that someone's <laughs> got a gun. <laughs> Chances are good. Chances are good. Yeah, I think that's like... You're saying that people that get shot have guns. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, that's something like... Yes, that's what I'm getting at. Maybe. I guess that wouldn't help you. I don't... I mean, I don't know. I guess that if you were trying to use your gun to shoot somebody or if you just had a gun on you, I mean, if you just are carrying a gun and somebody walks up and shoots you, it's not really your fault. There's all uh, kinds not of Not really, no. I'd, I'd, I'd actually like to see the percentage of people who have used uh, concealed arms successfully to defend themselves would be a good statistic. How often has someone, you know, the 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 protagonist in the situation will see the person who's not being ju- the person who's being jumped not the jumper pulls out a gun and that worked out well for him i'd like I to know yeah really there's a brand new case there's a case where the guy um the, the grand jury decided not to indict him it just happened that uh Marini case yeah somebody yeah. jumped into somebody else's yard at two jumped o'clock in his in the backyard morning. Yeah. right he was and the homeowner shot him now you uh-huh. see I, I can understand a, a home break-in and you've got one uh, in your dresser drawer or something but when you walk around town with one in your back pocket i, I don't i don't see the 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 good that's going to come out of that but no. I think it depends but on the circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I've known yeah. I've known people who have been robbed at gunpoint and have changed their mind about that. Uh, about about having carrying. Them. Yeah. What do they yeah. do? They see and now it? they carry all the time because I, they've been in that situation yeah. and they yeah. want but they to feel have some safer. way to control their own well, destiny. Chris yeah. says that you've yeah. got a better chance of being struck by lightning than you have of defending yourself with a gun from someone else who's already pointing a gun at you. I know, but when when lightning strikes, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. You'd rather it, be prepared. Yeah. It's, I can't. It's I can't psychological say, at that point. You know. I can't say that I'm a, I would. I'm on the fence about it myself too, but I can yeah. understand someone who's stared down the barrel of a gun, wanting to mm-hmm. have a chance at protecting themselves yeah. the next time it happens. Or move to another country. But I. But I. Yeah, w- <laughs> I don't know if you'll have any better luck. With Sweden. Sure. Yeah. yeah, Sweden. You're right. I would hope that staring down the battle of the barrel of the gun, your first thought would not be to go for your gun because. I don't, right. I don't know. Again, well, that's it, what it really just saying. depends on the circumstances. If there's a point, window of opportunity, it's it's yeah. already passed once run. the barrel. They the say you should run, dart, yeah. dart, dart, and run and darts. Yep. I'll just give him my wallet <laughs> instead. <laughs> <laughs> but even that sometimes doesn't necessarily turn out well. And yeah, I mean, perhaps to, not. To, to be fair, like I am speaking as a gun owner, so. Mm-hmm. Eris, yeah. you own a gun. <laughs> I do. I okay. own several actually. Look, you don't, several. I Look, do. you don't own a gun. I have a gun in my you home, do. but I don't you carry do? it. You do? Okay. Yes. You have a gun. Brandy, you have a gun? No. No, Andrew, you don't? I haven't, but I'd like to get one in the home. 
Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe get after, a shotgun after, after this we can, can go down the gun store. Like <laughs> Shotguns are cheap, actually. Yeah, you can get one on the street for. Nothing. Practically nothing. There you go. I'll just, <laughs> Brandy yeah. can get us one. I mean, these guys aren't using them anymore. They're just in evidence now, right? Oh, once, I don't have once any Once they're on death row. <laughs> you have access to the evidence. I don't have any access. No. Harris, how, many, how many guns have you got? Um, five or six. Five or six. Yeah. Are they reproducing? Uh, they might be. Like, it depends. If you put like the you know the 22 <laughs> long next to the right. the uh, 12 gauge. Let's we'll talk about your guns in a minute, and then we're going to talk about <laughs> India as well, which we have to get sure, on to yeah. in just a moment. But Luke, let's get back to the song. You want to play? Oh, yeah. Some yeah, yeah, let's yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah. Sorry, we got off the subject there talking um, about statistics. Well, cool. How do you like playing it now, then? I do. I like playing that song. It's one that I feel it's nice to play in this situation where I can give a little explanation of it that people don't feel like I'm, like, right. four guns. But I just, I, you know, I wrote that phrase, and I feel like it said so much about why we have guns and how fear is so much, so much of an issue, you know? And if we could make people feel more secure, maybe we'd all be safer. What if we just outlawed the whole damn thing? Mm. It's it's just so hard, man. Uh, <laughs> wow. I, I grew up in the country, and my my family are uh, Where conservatives. Where are you from? Cadillac, Michigan. And I, yep, my family are conservatives from Northern Michigan, and I, man, I would not want to go have that debate with them. No, nobody <laughs> in America wants to have a debate about giving up guns, and yet nobody wants to be shot or killed. No, but somehow we got it in our heads that this is part of the constitution of being an American is yeah. that you have to be able to have a gun, which is to do what exactly? And you go to Europe, and they just they just don't get it. They're just mm -hmm. like. Why does that make you feel American? Why, I don't does, get why does that it. make you I don't you get feel it either. I know I'm a foreigner, but that I, yeah. that's the one thing I do not understand, well, right? what, what the concept is. You know, I never thought about it, but the fact of the matter is, if you're English and you want to go hunt pheasant in the countryside, you can get yourself a gun. But if you're in the city and you want yourself a gun, you can't. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I wonder if there's a version of that that we could instill, you know. You could shoot children, say. <laughs> Well, after no. that happened, it was, you know... And then you get to meet Brandy. That was in yeah, Scotland. Well, 
You know, that happened you in You went Scotland. pheasant hunting? No, 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 sorry. I was talking about the shooting of children. I thought oh. you were... Uh, oh, you shot uh, children oh, in no, Scotland. I, I don't... That would have seemed <laughs> I knew what was going on. I thought you were so alluding to the, 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 the guy who went into a Scottish school and shot a bunch of kids, and that was the end of guns in the U.K. Oh, really? They, well, yeah. we had that happen they here, did, but nothing they happened. A lot of, it's, even, it's even illegal to carry uh, knives in Scotland. Mm. Knives of a wow. certain size are legal because yeah. that's how people kill each other now. They just stab each other. Yeah. yeah. So is it legal to have a knife in Scotland to walk yeah. around the street with a knife? Yep. Yeah. I had a Scottish friend telling me that if you know if someone came to the airport with with a knife over four inches, they can just throw you straight in jail for having a knife. Wow. Mm. That's crazy. Yeah. What about yeah, a spoon? I mean, you know, well, that'd be all right. You right? can yeah. you can yeah. debate probably you, you can gouge someone's eyes. Up. You can debate the liberty of of the whole thing, but the numbers don't lie. You know, the the amount of murders in the UK as opposed to here, it's just you know. Well, it's not. guns, right? Yeah, of course. So if we just outlawed them and no one had one, what would be so wrong with that? Really? Well, I think the fear at that point is, you know, it, it's the idea of, all right, so I, as a legal gun owner, like, I can no longer have my guns, but that's not going to stop people who are going to make yes, it is. the choice. It, that's it the is going to stop them. I can, stop I can't I can tell you how to stop happen. it. <laughs> I can tell you how to stop it. I've got a plan. I what's should run for something on this. This, is, is, my, this is my you platform. What's your, what's your plan? plan? Anybody who's caught with a gun... Mm-hmm is shot immediately <laughs> with their own gun. No <laughs> trial, no nothing. You just shot. That's a very George Carlin way of looking at it. <laughs> Who well, shoots I, you? I think it would work. I think there'd be no gun violence within 20 minutes. I mean, at that point, what's, that. what's the impetus to not just shoot somebody who notices you have a gun then? It's kind of like the idea of... Well, of, you, you could know. still be... There's still room for people to be crazy and illogical, of course. Well, but, but at that point, it's not even necessarily illogical. It's, it's the whole idea of... Um, not to get into another particular debate, but it's the idea of people say that they want to take... Uh, like, rape... The, the act of raping someone and make that a capital offense so that you can get the death penalty for that. And at that point, if you're raping someone, there's no impetus to leave them alive. You may as well kill them. Because then there's no witness. Well, it's like That's a chess game. <laughs> it is. It is. Think it's, ahead it's it's difficult. It, all of these are very difficult things to discuss uh, politically as well as just socially. Um, I think people don't think they're going to get caught either. You, I'm carrying a gun illegally. You don't know I have it. You're not going to catch me. I mean, I don't think it's a deterrent. I mean, the death penalty s- certainly isn't a deterrent. No, Jail yeah. isn't a deterrent. Right. Well, what about my plan of getting shot in the head with your own gun? <laughs> I don't think so. You don't I mean, think that I'm would work s- either? I, I'm going to pretend oh, like yeah. that is happening, and I'm going to start carrying a gun and pretend like people are going to shoot me and just see what happens. Mm. No, I'm serious. You don't think it would <laughs> no, work? No, I'm not serious. You don't think it would work, though? <laughs> You're the only person who really knows what they're talking about. <laughs> no, that's I'm not. My, that's my whole platform. You don't think that would work? I don't think, d- I don't think it would I, be a deterrent. I think, I, think, I, I think the Ariel's point is correct that if you're the first person to notice someone has the gun, you're the last person who wants to say, hey, he's got a gun. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, well, there's my there's I think my it's really clear, though, that the next step is really to just outlaw handguns and, like, automatic weapons in cities. Mm. I mean, that's an obvious yeah. first step. That's not going to... Well, the, background, in- the background checks, can we at least just get the background checks? Mm. Like, there's little things. That See, I'm all for background start. checks. Yeah. As, as much as I love my guns, there's, I'm for background checks There's those few topics that are kind of on the top that would be really easy to just push through that would help. But yeah. They don't seem to get pushed through, though, because everybody in Congress has got someone to answer to that apparently doesn't want it to happen. Yeah, right. You can say you'd like another drink. It's all right, Eris. We're not going <laughs> yeah. to tell anybody. It's happy hour. Hey, let's, we have to talk about, we have to talk about drugs. We talk about India. Let's, which one should we do first, drugs or India? Drugs. <laughs> okay. We'll come, back, we'll come back to India in a minute. Hey, um, Andrew, I'm going to get you to play a song as well. Uh, okay. But we'll, uh, come on to that. we'll do drugs, India, then what? what do you I want just want to hear Luke play two, and I don't want to play one if... 
we don't. No, we got room for everybody. Okay, we'll fit it all in. <laughs> okay, I'm here all the time. It, would you mind? It's an open D. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Okay. Well, we got a few minutes. Well, let's talk about apothecaries for a minute. All right. Because I want to know something about this. Sure. So you make these. I looked on your website and I printed out all the ho- everything you sell I on this that. website. It's awesome. You did research. That's crazy. Well, if you call it research, yeah. <laughs> so there's you can make you can buy various teas. One mm-hmm. is called cheaper than chloroform. Yeah. Which is, so you've got like a sense of humor about this whole thing. I tried to, I, I hated the idea of, you know, everyone's got like a sleepy time tea or, you know, a good night tea. And that's not really what you want. If you're having trouble sleeping, you want something that's going to help knock your ass out. <laughs> so that's kind of, and, and I don't, I'm not, um, I, I've never been one of those, you know, kind of like free spirit type people as much as I, you know, people think, assume that I am because of what I do. Um, so I like to have a, at least a little bit of fun what with it. What do people assume about you? Um, for lack of a better term, they think I'm a hippie. Um, you don't like that. I'm I'm a hardcore punk from back in the day. Oh, okay. So um, I mean, my favorite bands are Bad Religion and Social Distortion. So it's it kind of goes against everything like that I've believed since I was a very young teenager <laughs> that to be called you know considered a hippie. So I kind of wanted to d- differentiate myself from. Um, from that kind of mindset, so I went with you know cheaper than chloroform and joint jujitsu and gastric by you know depth charge and stuff like that. Well, you could call one Darren Sharper. I could now. I don't know what that, that would that'd be. be the cheaper that than would chloroform. Not people same thing. Yeah. yeah. Same than, thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's I don't a shock. I don't honestly. I don't even think my cheaper than chloroform is uh, is quite well, that strong. <laughs> I don't know what he was using, but yeah, I don't think I'm some that sort good. of shots with something in it. Nyquil, I think. <laughs> I'm if, not even if kidding. If NyQuil was that good, mm. I, I think, I think it, it was something stupid like that. Right no, I think it was something. Well, do you remember reading it? No, I what didn't it read it. Mm-hmm. Brandy, you up with that one? No, I just read a, um, an article about it today, but I don't know what he used. I mean, it's hard to he, tell. He got, he got it. Benadryl, women, maybe. Benadryl or something. It was, every, all these women have the same story across the country in like eight different states where he says to them, come up to my hotel room and, and they do a couple of shots and he's put right. Benadryl in it. Or something pretty ordinary like that, and then they pass out. Mm-hmm. So he's resourceful, but is what you're saying. Yeah, but I mean, it wasn't or something like. Or he's a like rapist. Well, there's that too. But he wasn't. It wasn't something like some fancy, you know, date rape drug or whatever it's called. It was just Benadryl. Yeah. And Scary. the guy's a multimillionaire. He could afford decent drugs. You know. <laughs> See, that's it's strange that he would just. He could have used this cheaper than chloroform. How strong is that? If I took a tea. Uh, have a cup of tea of this stuff. Um, it, it's not going to knock you on your ass. It's um, it's actually a very, it's kind of mild as far as the effects of it. It just kind of helps you relax. Okay. Um, most of the things aren't going to hit you. Most of the natural remedies that I do aren't going to hit you the way that most like over-the-counter types of drugs, and certainly not prescription drugs will. Well, but talk about prescriptions for a minute. Who is prescribing it? I'm prescribing this for myself, right? Um, sort of. Are you prescribing it for me? Do I... Th- it do I write to you and say, uh, I've got a problem, and can you tell me what to take? Uh, a lot of people do, actually. Um, I'll, get, um, I'll get messages on Facebooks or emails, uh, and stuff, and, or people just come up to me at trade shows, and they're like, hey, I have gout. What do I do? And, and stuff like that. What do you that. do for gout? Have you got something for gout? Um, there's a couple of things you can do for gout. Turmeric is actually really good. It's one of my wonder drugs that's kind right. of like a go-to for just about everything. Turmeric. Um, turmeric is definitely a good one for You're gout. not a doctor, right? I'm not a doctor. Do you have any medical training at all? I do not. Okay. Do you have any... <laughs> College education? I, uh, my degree is actually in criminal justice. Mm. Ha ha! <laughs> there you go. Yeah. What about um, that? You have a degree in criminal justice? I do. I have a degree in criminal justice. So how do you know anything about these um, drugs? I, like I said, I had started when I was um, a very young teenager. 
and 13 is the youngest you can be to be a teenager and that's about what time i started okay <laughs> um i i'd been you know kind of playing around in plants my grandmother was very into gardening um she had this huge wall of azaleas and whatnot so she kind of taught me how to garden a little bit when i was a kid and um i kind of turned that into um you know it started obviously with flowers and, and stuff like that and eventually i started wanting to know a little bit more about the plants and realizing you know in, in kind of uh, spiritual ways that there are other ways to use different types of plants and that led me into uh, medicinal uses when did you um, when did the punk stuff come along when did the punk stuff yeah. it was actually the same time <laughs> i never did anything the way that most people do it I, I i have to be weird all the time it's that's just kind of the way i do it um so i'm, I'm you know gardening in a misfit t-shirt that's kind of how i did that's strange that you'd be attracted to that sort of lifestyle at the same time which is sort of <laughs> self-destructive <laughs> at the it same is, time as trying to come up with some sort of herbal remedies for it, it is but well the the reason was because i was so you know as as a young punk i didn't exactly hold down a job for very long um and i moved out of my mom's house when i was 16. um so i kind of just decided i'm done with this and i'm done with your rules and so on and so forth and i was that you know god-awful rebellious teenager and so I didn't, I certainly didn't have insurance for a very long time. So I kind of had to figure out in different ways when I got sick to treat myself. Who um, were you living with when you were 16? Um, when I moved out at that point, it was with my boyfriend, which did not last for very long. And then it was different friends. I've couch hopped for several years. Wow. Yeah. Did you fun. get knocked up? I did not get knocked up. Oh, that was lucky. That <laughs> I know, right. I know. <laughs> Figured that out. Was there an herbal remedy? There actually are. <laughs> what do you take to stop getting knocked up then? Um, it, it's not necessarily something that you take to stop from getting knocked up. It's you, there are things that you can do that would, for lack of a better term, remedy. Masturbate? And, <laughs> another very controversial, very it is, controversial. It is another, and, and I don't sell those. Um, I actually it's have. It's like a morning after pill type thing you're talking about kind here? Of, yeah. Like an abortion. Kind of, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's a naturally occurring abortion medication. Yes. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> I am not going into that on we're this not, show. We're not going to be. We're not going to know what it is. No. Well, we no. could Google it ourselves. Yeah, exactly. The the okay. interwebs will tell you everything you want okay. to know, but I will not. All right. I don't okay. want anyone what, coming what's after your, me later. What's your best-selling uh, thing here? Uh, the cheaper than chloroform is definitely a bestseller. Right. Um, my uh, my antiviral arsenal. Uh, line of things it's it's my cold and flu remedies right. um, and I have an entire line of it there's a chest rub there's a tea um, but my tincture is actually the one that sells the best tincture uh, with that yes what's, what's, what's in it uh, there's elderberries um, honey cinnamon stuff like that um, and it's all because it's especially because I sell over the web it's done in a glycerin base a vegetable glycerin base as opposed to an alcohol base um, which is traditionally what tinctures are done with the um, the idea behind it is you basically take you know, a little bit of water, you know, pour the uh, tincture in it, and then you just kind of do it like a shot. Mm -hmm. um, some people absolutely love the way that it tastes. It depends on how you feel about elderberries because it's very much an elderberry taste to it. Um, I have two friends of mine who were like, am I sick yet? Am I sick yet? Can I take it? Am I sick? I need to be sick so I can take some of this. I can't stand the way it tastes. So I find if you actually take like a little bit of like iced tea and pour it into the iced tea, you can't taste it at all. Um, but it helps knock out a cold in a couple of days. What do you think about zinc? Does it work? Does it keep you from getting sick? If you feel sick and you take zinc, does it help? Uh, it, it can. It certainly depends. Um, a lot of the stuff that's being sold, um, you know, commercially that with, you know, zinc and, and so on and so forth, it's, I think a lot of it's hyped a little bit more than it probably should be. Mm -hmm. um, and you're probably not getting quite the amount, um, like the percentage or the dosage um, that you really, really need 
Um, but right. it, it does on its own, you know, when it's dosed properly. It's, it certainly can't help. Nice. How do you go. know this stuff works? Do you do trial and error on? A lot. <laughs> on, on guinea pigs? Um, on, on myself, on, on, <laughs> on my partners, my family, um, uh, my friends, a lot of my friends. And um, what's the failure rate? Like what happens when they get sick? Um, well, I haven't had anyone get sick. Um, that's one of the things that I love about herbal remedies is as long as you know what you're allergic to, um, then you know what you can and can't you know, consume. So as long as you don't give somebody something that they're allergic to, they're really not going to get sick per se. It's either going to work or it's not going to work. So you're dying for your friends to get the flu or something so you can see if this stuff works. <laughs> but can't they just drink the elderberry anyway? It's not like a preventative? Um, it, it's not really. Echinacea is a little bit more of a preventative, but if you take that for too terribly long, it will actually build up in your system and you actually become, it becomes less potent. Um, you know, it's, I usually go with about two weeks if you're going to take elderberry, or not elderberry, I'm sorry, um, echinacea. echinacea. If you're going to do echinacea, don't do it for longer than two weeks or it actually starts not working anymore. And then you have to, you know, kind of give your body a time to reset uh, before you take it again. Um, there are some things that you can do that are, you know, more systemic and more preventative. Um, like I have a, an arthritis tea that I personally drink because I have arthritis. Um, and it actually helps stave off a lot of the pain that you get. Um, a lot of like joint pain and stuff like that. Turmeric? There is in fact turmeric in there. <laughs> it's a wonder drug, man. I'm telling you, it's great. You have, a, you have a cure for arthritis pain? It's it's not necessarily a cure. I still get you know flare-ups here and there, but it does help. It helps quite a bit. Um, it's it's a lot of anti-inflammatory because that's basically what arthritis there's is. There's a lot of people in the world who are looking for a cure for arthritis. Right, and and unfortunately there's not a cure for it yet. Right. Um, but it does help quite Could a bit. Could you be onto something here? I like to think that I am. It helps did me. You, how did you how did you come up with this one? Um, I needed it. <laughs> so I but is there like a is there like a line of people who do this sort of thing? I mean, are there traditional medicines that everyone knows? There's books that say this is. Oh yeah, cure. yeah. There's there's books all over the place. I have about fifty of them or so at home. Um, but this particular arthritis cure, you. This particular one is one that I formulated. Yeah. Um, I, what do you I call try that? To is that on here? Um, it is. That's joint jujitsu. Joint jujitsu. Yeah. Okay, cool. There's uh, there's a T, <laughs> which is what I do. <laughs> I love that. I'll fight oh, your that's joints. good. Exactly, man. It's it's a fight. It's hard. Wow. Okay. Okay. Let's move along here, Andrew. <laughs> we're gonna have a song, and then we're talking about India. Okay. And then we make Luke play another song. Yeah. Great. Okay. Death penalty. <laughs> Info. In the meantime, we can swing back to that for a second. What are you playing? Uh, I'm gonna go with Luke on the same notion disclaimer that uh, this one's still in the works, but you know it feels like the right spot. Far away. 
This, uh, what is this instrument called? Is this a dobro or something? Is it called? Yep, it's a national guitar. It's a beautiful. Na- it makes beautiful. everything sound quite different, doesn't it? It's like, mm-hmm. where did that come from? What's the history of that instrument? Um, they've been made in California for over a hundred years now in San Luis Obispo, and um, that's the the national company who's kind of made them famous. But uh, the dobro was invented by uh, a couple of Czech brothers who moved oh. to California in you know 1880, 90. So when you hear Lead Belly play that stuff, what was he playing there? He was playing a 12-string guitar, oh, most likely. Okay. He played a 12-string guitar that was tuned really low. He didn't play much bottleneck. It sort of sounds like that, but it, it, he wasn't playing a bottleneck mm. Not slide really. at, all. Nope. at all. Andrew, that's a cool song. Thanks. Yeah. Wonderful, yeah. yeah. Thank you. Is that a work in progress, you're saying? Yeah, yeah, it needs a verse, another verse or something. You know what's funny about the whole bottleneck, not bottleneck thing? The guy the guy who who made me want to learn bottleneck was Lightning Hopkins, and then watching videos, he didn't even play bottleneck. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard of it. It was just like some of these guys, they just got these bluesy bends and bluesy slides up, and you think that they're playing, and they're, well, you're, you're untrained ear before you know what a bottleneck really sounds like. Oh, that must be one of those bottleneck things. Yeah. Sure enough, you didn't even play bottleneck guitar. <laughs> and you bought a sitar while you were in India. I did, yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Well, what's up with that? What so, is that like? All right, well, I wanted to go to a, a shop and just play. Just pick one up, see what it's all about, right? And, um, and so I told the people at the hotel that I wanted to do that, and they sent me to a souvenir shop and picked up this shitty one um <laughs> but just picking it up i was like oh wait and luke would know because he's playing in an open d tuning this thing is tuned in open d yeah and it's only two strings that you're really creating a melody on everything else is just for drone essentially um there's actually four that you can play the melody on but really you could create the song on two strings and the drone and um and then i i, I passed on it because it was expected it was you know 300 something dollars and it felt like a souvenir um, then sure enough, I happened to pass this actual sitar shop, and uh, so I popped in there, and it looks like a you know a handmade guitar shop should look, uh, 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 or a stringed instrument shop should look. There's there's things behind glass that they don't want amateurs to touch, you know, and a guy working on a sitar there, and so I asked him if I could play one, and and then I looked at the wall at these black and white pictures uh, of George Harrison. And I said, okay, wait. <laughs> and sure enough, it was the shop where George Harrison got his uh, sitar. And this guy made all of uh, Ravi Shankar's uh, sitars, who was the guy who taught George Harrison everything he knew. And, uh, you was just happened to walk in there. Yeah, it was just That's a shop awesome. that I happened to walk in on. And uh, that was kind of it. You know, you got to buy it after that. So. Yeah. And, and, and with the exchange rate, it, it really, you spend $3,000 on a great acoustic guitar. But for a great sitar, it was 600 something dollars. 
You know? So do they have like sitar world there? No, <laughs> no, no. In fact, good line. They should. Yes. You know, it's funny. You know, like you're not the first person. I've grown up my beard a little bit. You're not the first person to say, "Oh, now you look Indian." Nobody in <laughs> India has beards. They none. No, it's not a thing to have a beard there. I didn't see anybody doing yoga. I didn't see anybody playing a sitar. It's, you know, just not. <laughs> see, I have a friend who actually just moved to India with work, and, and he's one of the first things he did was found a yoga studio. Hmm. And, like, these people are now going to his apartment to do, like, morning yoga things in there because it's not a huge, huge thing. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, you'll pay me to do this? Okay, I'll do it. Sure. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of like that. Yeah. So have you played it? Have you figured anything out? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I'm not good at it. No, but... but the exciting thing is that once you find those two strings and start messing around with it and find the scale, yeah, you can you can sound like you know what you're doing. If if you know how to play guitar and you right. play it in open tuning, then you can you can find your way through it. But so those songs, those classical Indian songs, I thought they were in some sort of weird key that didn't exist in Western. Okay, music. here's the wild thing about the sitar: <laughs> you can move the frets, so ah. you. Um, when you want to create kind of the Middle Eastern scale, you move one of the frets from where it is to way up the neck, and now you're just, you know, that's where I bow out. <laughs> I don't know how to... Well, it's only the first week you've had it, though. Yeah, but... Um, it, you've had it for a month, you might Yeah, do. it's super interesting. It's you get not a video. Like, is it on YouTube, how to play this guitar? It is, but what's even interesting about that is you want to hear them say, this is where your A, your A-flat is, your, you know, all that... They have different names for all that. It's your right. da, your ra, your za, right. you know. So I'm, st- I'm still way... And what about the form of the songs, like a raga and all these different mm-hmm. things? Do you, are you going to try and learn that? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I was inspired <laughs> enough by the instrument to buy it, even though I couldn't afford it. You know, but there's always credit. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, after that, I'm not sure what happens after that. I'm going to let it inform me musically somehow, but I don't think I'm going to be writing you know, Eastern-style songs. I'm just going to... How did you even get it home on the plane? Uh, I checked it. I bought a case, which is only, you know, 30 bucks. Got him to pack a lot of newspaper in there. And he was very confident that it would be fine, so he wrapped it in saran wrap and um, checked it, and I worried the whole way, but yeah, it was fine. It had to be nerve-wracking. That's yeah. worse than flying with your dog, even. <laughs> right, yeah. Wow, how cool. Yeah. Brandy, so. yes. Did you drink cow urine when you were in India? No cow urine. My, no. A woman in my office brought back cow urine. It's very medicinal. You're allowed to bring cow urine. It's like apothecary. States. You should have it in your apothecary. <laughs> Who's on the trail I'm, I'm going to pass. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People in my office drank it. They feel like it Which office healed is them. Here, and you won't. Yeah. Mm. People in the defense, capital defense. Uh, she brought back cow urine. She said it's like Gatorade. Mm. I, I mean, it's a it's placebo not. effect that I'm not willing to chance. <laughs> yeah. What's in cow urine that would be so great? And how would you catch that? You have to follow cow- cows around with a pan. It, I mean, probably I get it the same like way you get milk or oh, something. It's hardly the worst thing that you could see on the street. Yeah, you know, catching some cow urine would it be It smells nothing. like a farm. Yeah. You could catch people urine on the street if you wanted to. They're all well, you could do that here. Is that medicinal? No, in the can't fr- imagine. <laughs> the French Quarter yeah. smells like people urine sometimes. Right. Yeah. Did you try it, Brandon? No, I didn't try it. P- other people in my office tried it, but I just what wondered they, if you... What they report? That <coughs> it was disgusting, but that they <laughs> felt fine. <laughs> I they don't know if anybody... Fine, but did they feel great or I don't know if anybody, anybody got, like, healed. Like someone who couldn't walk and suddenly, like, jump right. up and down. Right. I'm cured. Nobody, you know, <laughs> in a wheelchair suddenly walking in my office, but... 
Mm. You wouldn't think people. I'm surprised you didn't try it. Didn't even know it was there. (laughs) (laughs) Didn't see it. I've never heard anyone ask that question before. Have you tried cow urine? (laughs) It's an Indian. So Ayurvedic drink. Hmm. I don't know if it's Ayurvedic, but. uh, It's a different part of Indian medicine. uh, Yeah, it's like um, bottled. You could buy it like, you know, at the corner store. Damn, I didn't see I know, it. You should go back and try it. I'll be back soon. <laughs> you going back for real? Oh, yeah, next year. Well, the whole reason I went, India was just a stop off. I went to Sri Lanka because I have a great uncle there who's a missionary priest. He's been there for 63 years. That's why I went. Oh, wow. So I went to meet, well, I had met him once before. He had come to the States when I was uh, a, a young teenager, I think 13. <laughs> and, uh, it's a good age. Yeah. Turning point. Yeah. So I didn't know much about it then, but my folks told me more about it. and So, yeah. Is um, he from here? Yes. He left New Orleans and went to Sri Lanka. Jesuit High School. From Jesuit. That's cool. And what does he do? What's he like? Uh, What does he do there? Yeah, well, he's a missionary for... Right, so he's at this academy, which is a, a, you know, young middle school on up to high school, and uh, they teach him English and all the usual subjects, and... um, and he also started a technical institute where they essentially teach people how to take things apart and put them back together so they don't have to buy everything from China and, uh, you know, buy shitty stuff. So they're making their own industrial tools to do their own thing. Water pumps and brick machines and all kinds of stuff. So he's more than just a missionary then. Oh, he's right, yeah. No, he's a... He's got a lot going on. Yeah. Does he have... Uh, is he married or have a family or anything there? He's, still he's a Catholic priest. Oh, he's an actual priest. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I didn't realize that. Mm. Yeah, so he's, uh, his morning ritual is wake up at 5 o'clock, say 6.30 mass, uh, and then start his how are we going to make Sri Lanka better today, Vatikalo, which is a, a town. You'd walk down the street, the main area where everything is sold, and people just stare at you because <laughs> it was the only white guy, you know. Um, you must yeah. relate it to the other white guy. That Which one? The guy who's a priest. Oh, right. Well, Your he uncle. doesn't go out much. He's, he's 87 <laughs> years old now, so oh, he doesn't make it out. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's been here for 60 or something years. 63 years. He yeah, he went when he was 24. It took him, I want to say, four, five weeks on a boat. And uh, they stopped in uh, Egypt and here and there. And, uh, yeah, he, he made it. And back then, he didn't think he'd ever be back to the States again. It, it, there was no reason for him to think that he would make it back. So, yeah. yeah, he was just... Does he seem like a, a saint? You know, that was like that was the interesting thing about the trip was, I knew that I, I knew that if he came hard with the Jesus card, it would be hard for me to. That could be awkward. Yeah, <laughs> but he never, never, we never discussed it at all. You know, he's a he's a guy who grew up in the '40s and '50s when, when goodwill was Jesus and Jesus was goodwill. You know, and just because you know his God is love, but my, well. Like, God is love for him, but for me, love is God, maybe you'd say. And so, I, I don't, maybe I don't need the, maybe I don't need the Jesus to believe in the goodwill, but neither does he, it seems like. He, you know, he's performing the customs and the rituals, but um, it, that was never part of his prerogative. It was all about how do we help these people and, and how do we teach them to do simple things that we know back in the States. So I recommend anybody who, uh, who's out there who, doesn't quite feel a calling or isn't passionate about anything, 
if you want to be a hero or a rock star, you can move to a really poor third world country, <laughs> and you can teach them how to make a pump, and you will be a rock star. You yeah, but you have to know how to make a pump first. Like, or, don't or don't just go there and decide you're going to learn how to make a pump. You, you can make a tincture. But you know how to figure <laughs> it out online, and that's all you need. Yeah, you have the YouTubes where they don't. W- right, but you could bring <laughs> the YouTubes to them. Can you get the in- internet over there, wireless, mm-hmm. in Sri yeah. Lanka? What yeah. do they speak in Sri Lanka, English? Uh, Tamil. Tamil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So does your uncle speak Tamil? I guess he does. Yeah, but, but he, he actually years. doesn't anymore. He won't allow it he only speaks English to make the folks around him speak English because he believes that the it's the Tamils and the I don't remember the other one from the north but there was a huge civil war that all, that's just ending receding right. really and uh, he believes that the end to that is for everybody to learn English because uh, that would be better unify everybody unify right wow. one language yeah. interesting it was interesting yeah wow well wow. so well how did, was it life changing in some way it seemed to be from the Facebook photos that you're posting and it just looks so radically different from that's it right I mean that's the first time that I've been to that side of the world as far as I've been is uh, you know Spain and Italy and all that so just the usual Europe thing so to be on the other side other side and see what that's all about and understand what poor is and what desperation is and uh, and what what corruption is and and, uh, a culture that's completely not your own and when somebody cuts in front of you because they've never been taught otherwise and to learn that you know that's that's what you have to deal with in a place like in a place that doesn't teach them otherwise you know so I can't I'm not making the generalization I just mean when you when you're enveloped in a culture that's not your own you got to kind of roll with it and figure it all out but yeah it's yeah it's life-changing I think to go that far and figure out what the world's all about a little bit was it hard to come back or did you want to like stay and, and you know, try to help mistake, your uncle and whatnot. I did make the mistake of coming back too soon. Yeah. Uh, just making the plan, but, you know, uh, the plan was to go back in two years, but now it's one year, so I'll uh, head back as soon as possible. How long would you advise someone to stay there if they're going to India? Or in India, I mean, everybody said, you know, you should have stayed longer. I think it was only there a week cumulatively, but I think it's more like three weeks is, is at least the least bit you should stay in India probably uh, I'm trying to think of a segue to get Luke to play a song <laughs> yeah right yeah <laughs> what could one be well I think that was anyone, one right there actually anyone got an idea yeah Luke what are you thinking of playing I got a um, I was going to do like a, a dancing number do kind of a hot one to send us off yes, yes. ended up with a jig with any of our topics but be mm, hot right yeah that's right yeah <laughs> alright okay <laughs> what's it called this is called a uh, Swing that thing.
Thank you so much. You. Swing that thing. Is that off the coming tide? No, this is going to be on the that's new a, album. That's on the it's new a sneak one. Preview. That's yeah. a sneak preview of sneak preview. Swing yep. That Thing. On what swing the, that what's thing. the new record going to be called? It doesn't have a title yet. We have 18 songs and no title. You looking for suggestions from our audience? No, I think we're just <laughs> we're gonna decide what our favorite song is and probably call it that when we're okay. finished. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. when's it coming out? In a couple of months. I'm so. aiming for the last Tuesday in September. The last Tuesday in September. Yep. Okay. It has to come out on a Tuesday. Records are traditionally supposed to come out on Tuesdays. Yep. Okay. okay. The last Tuesday in September. Okay. Well, maybe we'll have you back in time for that. I'd love that. That would be a Thanks great idea. Me. I'm glad to be back. That was Thanks great to have, to have you back as well. You want to play us out? Sure. Okay. Yep. That's happy hour. It's all over for another yeah. day. Yeah. All right. Hey, thank you so much, everybody. It's great to be here. Our guests today on Happy Hour have been Eris Walsh, Brandy Studer, Luke Winslow King, Andrew Duhon, back from India. The producer of our show is Graham DePonte. Our associate producer and technical director is Chris Kehoe. Christian Unruh is our music director and Joshua Brown is our music coordinator. The fabulous audio quality of this show is brought to you in part by PreSonus Audio Electronics. PreSonus makes some of the best audio recording and sound products around including studio one music production software studio live digital mixing consoles error studio monitors and much more presonus.com has all the information about that if you'd like to be on our show or you know someone you'd like to subject to it drop us a line our address is on our website where you can also check out many other happy hour shows and other shows including out to lunch with peter rusciuti live from commander's palace mindset with psychiatrist dr nick pagic true to the game with the fabulous chris true and tammy nelson vietnam or our show about the new Orleans vietnamese community with the Vietnamese Terry Gross, Kim Vu. And Midnight Menu Plus One with Margot Moss, the man who ate New Orleans, Ray Canada. You can keep up with us on Facebook, Twitter, and a bunch of other time-sucking social media as well. And all of it, you'll find us. We're called It's New Orleans. You can find photos from this show on itsneworleans.com and on Facebook. These photos were taken by our photographer, Douglas Engel, who's standing right over there. If you're listening to this on iTunes, Stitcher, or our favorite podcast app, Swell, or some other podcast app, thanks for subscribing. Take a moment to rate and review us. That helps other people find us. Our show is recorded live today at the fabulous Casa Borrega, named one of the eight best restaurants in New Orleans today by some list on the paper. But they were, pic- they were wow. pictured as yeah, it's pretty amazing. This place, I think they're going to be kicking us out of here in no time. Casa Borrega is on Aretha Castle Haley Boulevard in Central City. Come on down and check them out. It's a restaurant, it's a bar, it's a live music venue as well. Happy Hour is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsneworleans.com. For Andrew Duhon, who's finally back yeah, before man. being away again. And everybody That's else right. around the table, everybody back at the INO office. Thank you so much for joining us. I'm Grant Morris. We'll see you back here next time on Happy Hour. Played by Luke Winslow King.